Hello, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. Happy holidays, everyone, to all that celebrate. I hope you have a happy and restful couple of weeks to end this year. As always, I take two weeks of vacation at this time of year to spend as much time as possible with my family and to just decompress. And of course, to start out my vacation, I caught a cold. So I hope my voice holds up. I think you guys can probably hear it a little bit. I am getting over it. I feel a lot better than I did last week. But if it sounds like my voice is a little nasally, a little congested, then there you go. I'm getting over a cold. Now, one thing I really like about the holiday season is that I get to do just a little bit of reading for fun. Trust me, I love rereading the Star Wars Legends novels for the podcast, and I especially like reading the last few Legends stories that I haven't read yet, but I also need to mix it up every once in a while with something different, and I always try to get in a different type of book or two here at the end of the year. So I'm looking forward to that. Now, coming up on today's episode, we round out the Old Republic series of Legends books. The fourth book in the series, Annihilation by Drew Karpishan. The Sith Empire's super weapon has the Republic military quaking in its boots. But now they have a plan. And it all hinges on Agent Theron Shan the estranged son of the Grand Master of the Jedi Council. Can Theron take down the weapon before it destroys the planet Duro and wipes out half the Republic fleet? Well, we'll answer those questions in just a few moments. But first, it's listener question time. I've got two emails today. The first comes from listener Harry, who says, Hello from the UK. Thank you for your podcast. I'm a new listener and binged all the episodes during my commutes to and from work and was sad when I got all called up. I really enjoy your breakdowns and synopses of each book. A question for you. I just finished watching Andor. What did you think? I loved it and can't stop raving about it. Thanks again and keep up the good work. Well, thank you for the email, Harry, and thank you for the very nice words. I also loved Andor. The story, the characters, the time period that it takes place, all of it. Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars film since the original trilogy, and Andor is a perfect lead-in to that movie, in my opinion. Now, I enjoy all the Disney Plus shows, some more than others, but there are things in every one of them that I really like. However, Andor really hit a sweet spot for me. It's a little dirtier a little more grounded, and a little less fantastical than the others. It was just a really wonderful change of pace, tonally, that was a breath of fresh air for me. My favorite overall storyline in the Star Wars saga is the galaxy rising in rebellion against the Empire. And one of my favorite things the show did was build upon itself as the season went along. I found each plotline even more engrossing than the previous one. I mean, not only did the sense of tension grow throughout each story arc, but for me, it continued to grow throughout the entire season. I wish we got a little bit more of Mon Mothma than we did, but of course, 
the show is about Cassian Andor. My only criticism with the show is that Lucasfilm told us how the season was structured before it started. And because of that, because it was structured around a few multi-episode arcs, I could tell that whatever the big thing that was going to happen was going to happen in the final episode of the arc. Now, that's a very minor criticism, and honestly, it didn't really matter. I loved the entire season. I can't wait until season two, which we're supposed to be getting in 2024. Thank you very much for the email, Harry. Today's second email comes from listener Zebulon, who says, Hi, Aaron. I've been listening to your podcast for some time now and really enjoy it and the attention to detail that you put into it. I've never read any Legends books, but I have started, and I've started with Darth Plagueis, and I'm really enjoying it. For my question, what are the Legends books that you would most highly recommend to read, whether it be a single book or a series? I know this question is subjective as far as what a reader is interested in, but I'd like to have your opinion. Similarly, do you have any recommendations for canon books that you really enjoy? Thank you again for all the time and effort you put into the podcast. Well, thank you very much for the kind words, Zebulon. This has become my favorite thing that has come out of the podcast, to hear from folks who haven't read any legend stories and are now giving them a try. Congratulations on starting your adventure with one of the stories that many Legends fans say is their favorite, Darth Plagueis by James Luceno. It's definitely one of the darker stories and one of the denser ones, in my opinion. And while the story is not canon, the character of Plagueis is, and it is one of the very few Legends books that the vast majority of the story feels like it could fit into canon at some point. So, recommendations. Well, no adventure in Legends would be complete without the original Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn. That's Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. They aren't the first Legend stories, but they are the books that really kick-started Star Wars publishing. I call them the foundation that Legends was built upon. A few others I would recommend are the X-Wing series of books by Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston. That starts with Rogue Squadron. There's the Darth Bane trilogy by Drew Karpishin, the Han Solo trilogy by A.C. Crispin, and Kenobi by John Jackson Miller, which is my favorite standalone story in the Legends timeline. Now, as far as canon goes, in my opinion, there's a bit of a delineation in quality from the first wave of books that came out during the first two to three years and the ones that have come out since. Don't get me wrong, there are some really good books released in those first few years, but personally, I think there were more misses published at that time than there were hits. For me, the books released over the last five years have just been consistently better. So, books I would recommend in canon. Let's start with Bloodline by Claudia Gray. That's a really good novel, in my opinion. The Alphabet Squadron books by Alexander Freed are really good. My favorite standalone book in canon is Rebel Rising 
by Beth Revis. And of course, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. It's the first book in the High Republic series, which might be my favorite canon novel overall. Try any of those books, Zeb, and email me back. Tell me if you liked them or if you didn't. Thank you once again for the emails. Now, listener, if you have a question for the show, feel free to contact me. Just send an email to swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And also, feel free to record yourself and email it in. Just record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Now it's time for today's book, The Old Republic Annihilation by Drew Karpishin. Grab yourself a drink and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The novel begins in a cave. Jedi Master Satil Shan is in labor. We learn that Satil disobeyed her Jedi vows and had an affair. She was able to keep the pregnancy hidden for a while, but when she couldn't hide it anymore, she went into isolation, telling only Jedi Master Ngani Zhou. The two Jedi isolated themselves until Satil was ready to give birth. She has a son and decides to give the baby to Master Zhou, saying that her attachment to the boy will be dangerous for the Republic and the galaxy. Satil names her son Theron, but refuses to tell Master Zhou who the boy's father is. The story jumps ahead to find an adult Theron Shan working as a covert agent for the Republic Strategic Information Service, having no talent in the Force. Theron is on Nar Shaddaa, trying to free his Twi'lek friend, Tefeth, from Morbo the Hut. Tefeth and her crew were smuggling spice in Morbo's territory without cutting the hut in on the deal. Theron's negotiations go south pretty quickly. He's able to free some Republic prisoners of war, but Morbo wants Tefeth dead and sends a team of thugs to the spaceport to kill her crew. Two of Tefeth's group are killed, including the captain, but Theron is able to thwart the assassins and allow Tefeth to escape, all without her knowledge. Elsewhere, the Sith Dark Council is debating candidates to replace Darth Hadra. Darth Ravage nominates Darth Karad, but he's met with resistance. Karad is an apprentice of Darth Malgus, who tried to usurp the Imperial throne before he was killed. Ravage reminds the council that Karad broke away from Malgus when he tried to crown himself the new Imperial Emperor. And, he reminds them, that Darth Karad controls the Ascendant Spear, the most powerful weapon in the Sith Empire. Darth Mortis nominates Darth Gravis for the council seat, and the council members quickly take sides behind the two candidates. Gravis is leading an Imperial battle group that is headed for the Loretor system. The council decides to wait and see the result of the upcoming battle. If Gravis takes Loretor, he'll get the council seat. If he fails, the seat will go to Darth Carid. After the meeting, Darth Maar contacts Carid and tells her what has happened. 
He also tells the Falene about Darth Gravis's upcoming battle, and what a shame it would be if he were to lose. Smiling, Carid ends the call and orders the Ascendant Spear to the Lorenor system. On Coruscant, Theron is escorted to SIS headquarters and is chewed out by Director Marcus Trant. It turns out the SIS was running an operation on Nar Shaddaa inside Mormo the Hutt's organization, and Theron ruined it by negotiating the release of the POWs. As punishment, Theron is taken out of the field and temporarily reassigned to desk duty, doing analysis work. Trant says he's helping the Republic's Supreme Commander in planning a new mission. It's called Operation Endgame, and Theron can help them with the analytics. The Ascendant Spear gets to Laritor just after the battle begins. Darth Carid calls Darth Gravis, who is not happy that the Falene has arrived. Gravis accuses Carid of trying to steal his victory, but the Falene takes the spear into the middle of the battle. The move causes Gravis to fire on the spear, exactly what Darth Carid wanted. Quickly, she turns the spear's guns on the Imperial fleet, destroying it and killing Darth Gravis. Theron develops a plan for Operation Endgame, a plan to destroy the Ascendant Spear. When he tells Director Trant and Supreme Commander Jace Malcolm, Malcolm asks Theron to a private meeting. There, he reveals that he believes that he, Jace Malcolm, is Theron's father. Jace says he had a relationship with Satil Shan years ago. Malcolm says that when Satil broke off the affair and went into hiding, he had no idea that she was pregnant. And she never told Jace that she had had a baby. Theron tells Jace that he accepted his mother giving him up years ago, and now that's what the commander has to do. But as he leaves, Theron tells Jace that if the mission is successful, maybe they can talk about it when he returns. Theron's plan involves stealing a black cipher, the technology the Empire uses to send secure communications. Theron says the black ciphers are all controlled by the Sith Lords, except for one. It's at the Ministry of Logistics on Zyost. Theron plans to steal that cipher and replace it with a broken one the Republic obtained months ago. Theron and Jedi Master Nos Dural head to Zyost and split up. Theron sneaks into the Ministry of Logistics, while Nos Dural heads to the capital city's main power station. The Keldor Jedi Master destroys the station, turning off the power to the Ministry. Theron uses the distraction and the lockdown to sneak into the Ministry vault and switch out the Black Ciphers allowing the Republic to monitor Imperial communications. They find out that the Ascendant Spear is docked for repairs at Reaver Station, but to sneak in, they're going to need an Imperial shuttle and IDs for Theron. They contact Tefeth and ask her if her smuggling group can obtain the supplies they need. Tefeth takes them to the group's leader, a man named Gorvich. 
They purchase the shuttle and the IDs, but they only have half the money on hand. Theron promises Gorvich to pay the rest of what the Republic owes when they return, but the smuggling chief orders Tefeth to tag along as collateral, ensuring that Theron returns if he survives the mission. When they arrive on Reaver Station, Theron dons his Imperial disguise while Nos Dural and Tefeth hide out on the shuttle. As Theron moves throughout the station, he learns that the Empire recently attacked the planet Ruan, destroying much of the planet. Theron then learns that the Empire next plans to attack the planet Duro, a much more heavily populated planet and the site of one of the Republic's shipyards. Theron quietly contacts Jace and Marcus, who acknowledge that they knew about the attack on Ruan beforehand, and they know about the attack on Duro, but they're not going to try to stop it. The news stuns Theron. How can you allow this to happen? He asks Jace. Because, the Supreme Commander says, the Ascendant Spear isn't going to be at Duro and destroying the spear is the objective of Operation Endgame. Jace says that if he reinforces the fleet at Duro, the Empire will know that the Republic has broken the Black Cipher, and they'll change their communications. Disgusted, Theron returns to the shuttle and tells Nos Dural about the Republic willing to sacrifice Duro. Well then, the Jedi Master says, we need to make sure the Ascendant Spear is at Duro. When Theron asks how, Nostaral says that Darth Carid used to be his Padawan. He'll convince her to take the spear to Duro. Using a boost of Jedi speed, Nostaral infiltrates the spear and confronts Darth Carid and her acolytes deep in her lair. Theron orders Tefeth to inform Jedi Master Satil Shan about what's happening. He says Satil can convince Jace to send reinforcements to Duro. Theron then leaves the shuttle and sneaks aboard the spear. He plans to sabotage the ship before it reaches Duro. In Darth Carrad's lair, Nostaral fights the three Sith apprentices, and he quickly loses. Rather than killing her former master, however, Carrad wants to know what he's doing there. She tortures him, hoping to break the Keldor Jedi. But he simply tells her the truth, to a point. Nostaral says that the Republic can intercept Imperial communications, that they've stolen a black cipher. The Jedi Master says that they know about the upcoming attack on Duro. When Carrot asks why he's here at Reaver Station, the Jedi Master says, the Republic has set a trap at Duro, and he was sent to keep the Ascendant Spear away from the battle. The story tricks Darth Carrot into ordering the Spear to leave Reaver Station and to head for the battle. Tevith arrives on Coruscant, requesting to meet with the Grand Master of the Jedi Order. And she's immediately taken into custody by two security police officers. But Tevith turns the table stealing one of their blasters and taking one of the officers hostage. She demands to see Satil Shan, or she says she's going to kill the hostage. Soon, 
Master Shan arrives. When Tefeth tells the Jedi about Theron's plan to sabotage the Ascendant Spear at Duro, the two head off to talk to Jace, who's skeptical. When he asks why Satil never told him about Theron, she says that she could see what the war was doing to Jace. It was forcing him to make terrible life-and-death decisions. Reluctantly, Jace agrees to lead a fleet to Duro, but he'll only do it with Satil and Tefeth with him. Theron finds a secluded spot in the Spear's engine room. He slices into the ship's computers and waits for it to arrive at Duro. When Darth Carrot drops out of hyperspace to find Jace's fleet pounding the smaller Imperial Task Force, she orders the Spear into battle, but Theron slices into the ship's sensors and targeting systems, causing its weapons to miss their targets. It allows the Republic ships to get a few shots in on the Spear, but eventually Carrot finds Theron's sabotage and boots him out of the ship's computer system. Theron leaves the engine compartment and heads to the detention level. He slips into Nostaral's cell block and frees the Jedi Master. The two make their way to Carid's command pod and attack. Nostaral takes on Carid's acolytes, while Theron heads to the pod's control panel. He opens the pod, breaking Darth Carid's connection to the spear, leaving the ship unresponsive. The Republic fleet takes advantage of the situation and starts pummeling the spear. Frantically, Darth Carrot tries to regain control of the command pod. Theron overloads the power pack on his blaster and throws it into the pod with Darth Carrot. The blaster explodes, destroying the pod and killing the Falling Sith. Following her death, Nostaral kills one of Carrot's acolytes and chases away the other two. Theron and Nostaral make their way to the escape pods and launch, just before the Republic fleet destroys the Ascendant Spear. Operation Endgame is a success. The story ends with Theron inviting Jace Malcolm out for a drink, for a chance for the two to get to know one another. It's time for a break. When we come back, I'll talk more about Annihilation, the final book in the Old Republic series. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thanks for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to suggest a book from Star Wars canon. Queen's Peril is the story of young Padme Amidala, in the first few weeks after she's elected Queen of Naboo. Joined by a group of young women with extraordinary skills, Padme and her handmaidens learn how to govern while the threat of the Trade Federation looms over the planet. That's Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnston. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. Today's book is Annihilation by Drew Karpishin. I really enjoyed this story. Of the four books in the series, I have to say that this is up there with Deceived. I think Deceived was still my favorite one. 
you know, the story of Aaron Lanier about the Jedi Knight that almost falls from grace in her quest for revenge over her slain Jedi Master. But this one's right up there with it. One of the things I really like about this book is the look at what would happen to a Jedi that does have a child, but decides to try to follow the rules of the Jedi Order. Now, obviously, Satil Shan went against some of the Jedi teachings. She had a relationship with Jace Malcolm. She had a child. But she realizes that attachment to that child would compromise her work for the Jedi Order. And it would potentially put the entire galaxy in danger. It's sort of an AU look at Anakin Skywalker's story. Yes, Anakin has the relationship with Padme. They have children, even though Anakin does not realize it. But Master Satil Shan is able to put the good of the galaxy above her wants and desires. Anakin could never really do that. What causes Anakin's downfall? He's obsessed with keeping his loved ones safe. Satil Shan's able to avoid this conflict of interest. She breaks off her relationship with Jace Malcolm. She gives up her son to be raised by another Jedi Master, knowing her love for her son could cause her to do terrible things in order to keep him safe. And it's something that she's not willing to do. Now, as far as Theron goes, I like the fact that he's not a Force user. All four of these Old Republic books give interesting takes on what it's like to wield the Force. For Revan, in his book, he takes it upon himself to try to keep the darkness that he feels growing in the unknown regions from invading Republic space. In Deceived, Aaron Lanier falls from grace, but before she fully succumbs to the dark side of the Force, she's able to turn away. She will not hunt down Malgus in anger. She will not take revenge for the death of her master. It's close. She walks that fine line. I would argue there's a couple times that she crosses that line to the dark side, but eventually she's able to turn away. In Fatal Alliance, we see a Sith apprentice struggle with the knowledge of what the Sith Order did to her mother. And we see a Padawan riddled with doubt that he'll ever become a Jedi Knight. And now in Annihilation, we see a Force user give up her happiness for the good of the galaxy and her son, who, just with his name, Theron Shan, is somewhat burdened with the responsibility of being Satil Shan's offspring, but shows no skill in the Force and quickly learns 
to chart his own path. And I like how in Annihilation, just because he's not a Jedi, just because he's not a Force user, that Theron still tries to follow the teachings of Jedi Master Ngani Zhou. Theron continually tries to make the right choice, the choice that will benefit the galaxy, the choice to defend the citizens. He's willing to give up his own life to destroy the Ascendant Spear and to save the people of Duro. There's another character in this story, Supreme Commander Jace Malcolm, who is on the side that we're rooting for, the Republic, is making a lot of dark choices. The ends justify the means for Jace. He willingly allowed Ruan to be destroyed. Ruan's not a heavily populated planet. It has no real military importance. But tell that to the people that live there. Tell that to the people who survived the devastation. That they just weren't important enough to try to defend. And now he's willing to sacrifice a much more heavily populated planet and one with some strategic value. One of the Republic shipyards is located there. All because he wants to destroy the superweapon, the Ascendant Spear. That's my favorite part about this book, that we get a view of the teachings of the light side and the dark side of the Force and how you don't need to be a Force user to follow these paths. Sure, there are some parts of the book that work better for me than others, but I think the overall theme is really strong. That everyone must constantly make decisions on how they're going to live their lives, be it for the betterment of the galaxy or for selfish reasons. Now, the series as a whole is solid. It's pretty good. The old Republic stories aren't my favorite. I've said that before on the show. This is the second time I've read through these books. The first time was just before I started the podcast. It was early in 2020. I'm still not interested in playing any of the video games, but it does make me want to go on YouTube and watch all of the cutscenes to at least get a better understanding of the overall story of the Old Republic. I've seen those videos pop up every once in a while, and I remember watching one of them. I think it had twin Force users who were being trained by someone. I don't know if it was their father or someone, but I watched that video. Reading these stories again and diving a little deeper, it makes me want to go back and watch them all, watch them in order, to get a better overall understanding on the storylines taking place in the Old Republic, to appreciate the time period even more. I know it's the favorite time period for many Star Wars fans. I'm sure it is to many of you listeners. And these books do make me want to learn more about it, particularly Deceived and Annihilation. I did notice one thing in this book that I think may have been a mistake by the author, Drew Carpishan, 
I went back and reread it three times. But when Tefeth takes her hostage, demanding to see Satil Shan, she orders one of the officers to leave the office that she's holed up in. When the officer leaves, it says she shoots the control panel for the door, which I presume meant it locks the door. But it says she shoots the control panel for the door. When Satil San shows up, she orders her hostage to open the door. And it says he hits the control panel, opening it. I went back and read that section three times. Maybe I'm not understanding exactly what happened there, but it sure seems to me that it was just a little mistake by the author that she shot the control panel. It shouldn't work anymore. And then her hostage goes over, hits the control panel, opens the door. It's just something small. It's nothing major. It didn't take me out of the story or anything. But much like when real-world things are talked about in Star Wars, I just like to note those little things. I think this was a mistake. Well, it's time to wrap up. There's no Starfighter Squadrons today or holiday party guests, but that's fine. It's the end of the year. I'm sure we'll get some more in the new year. Now, if you have a question or comment for the podcast, email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or you can send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Or if you want to get your voice on the show, just record your own audio file and email it in. Just please record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Now, coming up after the new year, we start season three of the podcast. And for that, I'll be jumping back to the prequel era with Cloak of Deception by James Luceno. It'll be a first for me. I have not read this book yet. So join me for that on January 6th. And if you want to see the schedule for season three of the Star Wars Legends Lounge, I will post that on the show's Twitter feed at Legends Lounge 1 coming up right after Christmas. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. <laughs>